Well, hi. Thanks for joining me. I'm Krista Wallace. This is Totally Fantastic Title, the podcast. I've been planning on doing this for a while, though I'm starting a little bit earlier than I expected to because, um, well, basically because we're all spending an awful lot of time indoors these days and I figure people need stories. This is a time when we we need an occasional reprieve from COVID-19 updates and we need a, a shift, a temporary shift to some other place, another time. Um, so in this podcast, I'm going to read my stories. It's mostly fantasy, although I do dabble in other genres. I will be starting with my first novel, Gatekeeper's Key. It's book one in my Gatekeeper trilogy. It's the story of Kier Halladin, who walked out of a cornfield at age three, and 20 years later, she is trained as an elite sword fighter and sets out to find out who put her there. Eventually in the podcast, I'll add in some short fiction, and I'd really like to include chats with other authors and maybe read some of their work or invite them to read their own. Um, I think it's going to be fun, but I shouldn't get ahead of myself. I'd like to thank Andrea Howe of Blue Falcon Editing, Jen Landles from Pulp Literature Press, who gave me a lot of help with chapter one, and of course, Brian Rathbone, who got me started in this whole audiobook thing in the first place. My amazing writer tribe, you all know who you are. And of course, the original six, Rob, Dougie, Phil, Matt, Garnet, and Brian. Let's start. Gatekeeper's Key by Krista Wallace. Read for you by Krista Wallace. Chapter 1. One Way to be Noticed. Another town, another gem of a man who wanted to dazzle her with his broadsword. Damn it, not again. All she had done was sit next to him on one of only two empty stools at the bar. Hadn't even looked at him. Kier set her beer mug on the bar with a clunk and eyed the cocky bastard as if he were a squashed slug. What did you say? Full tavern, about forty, one-third elven, males and females. He nodded at the empty counter before her. If you're hungry, I got plenty you can feast on. Let's go spend the evening up in my bed. He rested his elbow on the counter, displaying the thickness of his upper arm for her to be roused by... Kier wished she could vomit on cue. She stared at him blankly. Why would I do that? Door to the corridor about five paces. Exit door about twenty between tables. Two goblins at the booth behind. He shrugged and blinked slowly in that way that was meant to be alluring but wasn't. No sense you paying for your own room, honey, when Jack and I already took my gear up to my regular room. Wow. She nodded, feigning awe. First name basis with the stable boy. You've taken my breath away. Door to the kitchen to the left. Tricky to leap the bar without taking someone out. I'll do more than that, beautiful, given the chance, he said, oblivious to her sarcasm. I'll pass. She took another large swallow of beer. He repeated his fingers through the dark curls gesture that hadn't impressed her earlier. After three weeks on the road and two days without food, she didn't have the energy for this. She ignored him with as much threat as she could muster. Honestly, why had Brendau sent her here? "'Name's Diddick. Simon Diddick,' he said, as if she cared. He edged closer with a salacious, sidelong smile. "'I'm at your service, darling.' "'Funny, you seem to think I'm at yours.' 
A low chuckle burst from a black-cloaked man two barstools down. She'd noticed him right away upon entering the tavern at the burnished blade, one of those types who is always watching. Her would-be lover remained unaffected. Oh, come on, you're such a treasure. Only a fool'd let you slip through his fingers. He reached to stroke her cheek, and that was where Kierre drew the line. She stood up, bristling, itching with the desire to scratch his eyes out. A serving girl stepped in through the door from the corridor and hesitated next to the fireplace. She gestured to someone, and a large man joined her, leaning his only arm on the doorframe. The silence of the crowded tavern was interrupted by only the crackling of the fire and the jabbering argument of the two goblins behind her. Kier's shoulders stiffened with the gaze of human and elf alike, some with curiosity, some poised to flee. Didick was a regular here. Had they seen his tactics before? Nobody seemed eager to offer any assistance. She was on her own, as usual. Fine. Men like you, she said, are boring. Her muscles tingled to life, dispelling weariness and hunger. And you're everywhere, like rats and cockroaches. He laughed. Now that's just plain mean-spirited. Come say sorry. His hand stretched out to touch her again, but halted, because the tip of her stiletto pricked the underside of his chin. Can't. I wouldn't want to lie to you. The threat tactic usually worked against bullies. This one was particularly persistent. Now why don't you go and sit somewhere else and we'll forget all about this? The cockroach pushed her weapon aside. Because rejection doesn't suit me, especially in front of an audience. The heat of anger climbing her neck, she raised the knife again. Brace yourself for disappointment. His lip curled in a sneer. Apparently he still believed, or was willing to pretend, she was bluffing. You'd better put that away, darling. You might hurt yourself. He sought a favorable reaction from the patrons nearby and found none. A calm, cold fury draped over her. She couldn't back down now. Let's settle it. Though the tightness in his lip betrayed a sudden doubt, he laughed. Her eyebrows shot up. So not only are you a boor, you're also a coward, she clarified. His flash of anger told her she might have struck a nerve. I'd have thought it cowardly of me to challenge a girl to a duel. Hardly honorable. He folded his arms on his chest. She couldn't help but chuckle. <laughs> Isn't it a little late to think about preserving your honor, Kier said. Besides, I challenged you, not the other way around. I must insist we do it properly, he patted the hilt of his broadsword. With an innocent look as if she were dealing with a child, she sheathed her knife. Naturally. She brushed back her cloak. As she expected, murmurs undulated throughout the tavern. Didick took one glance at her sullied leather armor and the long sheath of the bastard sword at her belt. His face paled, then took on a purplish hue, as if he were angry at her, as if she'd somehow misrepresented herself. Kier sighed with frustration. You can't have thought I'd challenged you to a dagger toss. She gave a quick nod to the publican, who reached under the counter and drew out a book. With respect to our esteemed proprietor, shall we take this outside? Then he won't have to mop your blood up off his floor. Laughter erupted from many of the patrons. The man in the black cloak two seats away snorted. That sounds fine with me, Didick said. If you please, the bartender said, holding the book open with one hand and a quill in the other. At the top of the page was written the word duel. 
Below it was a list of named pairs and dates. Next to one name in each pair was the word Victor, and the result, everything ranging from first blood to weapon arm severed. Of the four duels listed on the page, none said death, which reflected Kier's opinion that a dispute between civilized people could be decided without loss of life. She took the quill and signed her name under the date, as written by her host. She passed it back to the publican. Kier, he asked, and gestured to the one-armed man in the doorway. No, it's Kier. Most unusual. The one-armed man loomed over her. This is Bill the publican said. He will be arbiter. He turned the book around again for Simon to sign. And the terms? Kier said, Loss of weapon. If I win, you take your sorry ass to the other end and I never see you again. She gave him her back and stalked to the door. And if I win? Simon called. She flung the challenge over her shoulder. If I lose, I'm yours for the night. Either way, you're in trouble, boy, a gruff voice said from a table nearby. Kier stepped outside into the crisp, late winter air, shaking tension from her hands. She drew fresh, chilly breaths scented with greenery, filling her lungs, annoyed that it had come to this. When she left home on the advice of her trainer, she was looking for allies, not adversaries. In her three weeks of traveling, she'd had to put up with similar propositions more than once, but usually a few firm words were all that was necessary. Here she had sat quietly, kept her cloak wrapped about her, her braid pulled around front, minded her own business. Was she supposed to cut her hair off and wear a floppy hat to be left alone? She embraced the sharp chill in her lungs and focused her concentration. At the edge of the veranda, she surveyed the yard, pond to the left, oak tree out front by the road with a bench surrounding it, driveway from the road to the inn's stable at the right a delineated fighting space. How many times had the area been used this way? Enough that no grass grew. The sun hung just behind the oak tree, casting mottled shade over the area, but it was by no means dim. She crossed the porch and stepped lightly down to the hard-packed dirt ground. The rest of the patrons spilled out the doors and prepared to watch from the veranda and the driveway as if it were a marketplace cockfight. Bill planted his heavily booted feet at the top of the stairs. Before witnesses, Kier Halliden and Simon Diddick, to the loss of weapon. The man in black from the bar stood at the end of the veranda, gray eyes piercing from behind shoulder-length black hair. The other patrons gave him his space as they placed wagers with murmurs and shuffling of hands. They became a mere mass of rippling color in Kier's vision as she dismissed them. She circled the yard, scanning the ground for uneven spots or rocks, a meditative procedure, part of her routine that settled her into inner calm. Damn Simon did it, couldn't possibly have waited to harass her until after she'd eaten. But never mind. She flexed and stretched her hands and arms and focused on breathing life into all the travel-weary muscles she was about to call on. The clean scent of wood chips and water lilies on the pond seeped in and awakened her senses. The process took no more than a few moments, but when she turned her attention back to her opponent, she wasn't nervous anymore. He approached, watching her uncertainly. She removed her cloak to lay it on the ground. In that brief moment, she sensed a quick movement behind her and heard a stifled gasp from the crowd. She spun around. The coward had already drawn and was coming at her. Outraged, she tossed her cloak at him, entangling him and buying herself time to back out of his reach. In one flowing, swift motion, she let her fingers curl around the hilt of her bastard sword and drew, Okay, you cheat. You just changed the rules. 
One-handed, she automatically parried the level slash flying at her left shoulder. The yard echoed with a ring of steel. Her left hand now joining her right on the hilt, she fainted a thrust at his face and he flinched. And when he over-parried from his right to left, she turned her wrist over in a crossing cut to his sword arm. Again, steel clashed as he stopped it, barely. He countered with a weak thrust, and she easily stepped out of his line, sending his sword down and out of the way. Sensing her advantage, she lunged at him, feet dancing forward, and forced him back across the yard toward the pond. He yielded to her thrust, and with a quick flip of his blade nicked her left shoulder as he passed her. She winced. The sharp pain vibrated down to her hand, but she dared not react further. One to him, but only one. Angry at her carelessness, she regrouped with a deep breath, not taking her eyes off him. His self-congratulatory smile signaled his overconfidence, and she took advantage of his lack of focus to step closer. She charged forward and slashed at his legs, forcing him to stumble to one side in his effort to avoid her blade. A thrill rushed through her. This was what all those arduous hours of training were for. She kept at him, varying her rhythm, tiring him. She parried his every move calmly and precisely, while he became more careless and fell behind her increasing tempo. Kier parried a desperate slash with ease and pivoted to the side. Her blade slid along his with a ringing sound. She disengaged and dropped low, slicing into the muscle over his right knee. With a yell, he clutched his leg and went down, his face twisted with agony from his wound and his humiliating defeat. Instantly, she stood over him. A flick of her foot sent his sword flying a few feet away. Blood dribbled through his clenched fingers to pool into a thick, spreading puddle at her feet. Kier nodded, satisfied. Loss of weapon. I'll get a healer over here for you. Have a good sleep somewhere else. She turned to retrieve her cloak. A shuffling sound and a gasp from the crowd startled her. She whirled around as Simon, on his feet with his boot dagger in hand, flew at her. His dagger bit the flesh of her upper arm. She plunged her blade into his chest, feeling it grind along his ribs, and as he fell, it stopped in the ground underneath him. Shock in his eyes, his body convulsed and was still. As his blood stirred up the dirt and trickled away in a muddy whirl, so did the red haze lift from around her vision. The magnitude of what she had done hit like a gust of wind, and she staggered. By Garen, I killed him. It was what she had trained to do, and yet she could not have prepared for this. Trembling overtook her from head to toe, and this time it was not from lack of food. Kier let her sword take some of her weight and gritted her teeth to stop them from chattering. Her rage depleted. Exhaustion replaced it. Her knees wobbled and she knelt down next to her victim's body, gulping air to counteract the nausea. Her breath came out in puffs. I killed him. Quivering like an aspen leaf, she hissed with pain as she drew his knife out of her arm and let it drop. The flow of blood striped her sleeve. Bill shrugged. The outcome was too obvious to declare. Murmurs rose like a flock of birds as the spectators filtered back indoors. Some who'd been watching in the yard stepped over and spat on the cheater's body before returning to what they'd been doing. Kier fought with her conscience. I didn't mean to kill... No, wait. That kind of thinking had to stop. She was a sword fighter, trained for years. He cheated in a publicly recognized duel. He hadn't waited for the opening salute. She'd bested him in fair combat, and he'd come at her back with a knife. If she'd let him live, what would he have tried later? No, mid-battle was not the time to waver. Diddick had forced her to make a quick decision, and she'd done it. The difference between this and her last fight, a week before she left home, was not lost on her. 
This jewel had at least been her choice, albeit one she had been forced to make. Better than the surprise attack in an alley by people she knew with eight-to-one odds. She shook her head, dismissing the memory and the anger it would rekindle. In the stillness of the yard, she pushed herself up. She braced her feet and yanked her weapon out of its resting place. With trembling hands, she wiped the blood off the blade on his shirt and sheathed it, allowing the steady, automatic movement to restore her equanimity. She unbuttoned his waistcoat and tore a strip of cloth from his sweat-soaked tunic. She fashioned a bandage and tied it, with the help of her teeth, around the arm that had met Simon's dagger. An inspection of her left shoulder showed her only a small amount of blood seeping. That wound could wait. Kier steeled herself, uncomfortable with the thought of performing the customary search, but she had killed him and it had to be done. Bill watched from the top of the stairs. She slipped a tentative hand inside the bloodied waistcoat and found a purse. Her jaw dropped when she found it contained about thirty hexagonal gold nobles, more money than she'd ever seen. Her own depleted purse would be gratefully replenished and then some. In a breast pocket, she found a piece of cloth folded around a tiny key. She transferred it to her pouch. His dagger was nothing special. Even his sword, though serviceable, was not as good as her own. She left it for the benefit of the clean-up crew. He had nothing else she needed. The job done, she washed the blood off her hands in the pond with a shudder, glad to be rid of the metallic smell. She picked up her cloak, dusty from where Diddick had flung it aside. It had a new tear in it thanks to the louse's sword. Great! She stood in the silent yard and stared at the aftermath, the scuffed dirt, the blood, the body, and the responsibility of having begun her life as a sword fighter settled its weight on her shoulders. One last deep breath, long and slow. She'd made a decision. She'd acted on it. It was time to live with it. She took three steps back toward the inn and stopped, a flicker of annoyance tingling in her brow. The man in black stood on the veranda watching her, even though everyone else, including Bill, had gone back inside. He leaned against the railing, cloak wrapped around his shoulders, the worn heel of one scuffed riding boot hooked over the lower rung. His long, stringy hair curtained his profile. She continued up the steps and regarded him evenly. If you're the local Reeve, I hope that wasn't a personal guest of the magistrate. She walked by him with deliberate, steady steps. Part of her desired to ask the barkeep for the key to Diddick's room, now hers, and go to sleep for three days. The other part had something to prove. The patrons of the burnished blade didn't need to know he was the first man she'd killed. She returned to her seat at the bar, laying her cloak on the counter next to her. A few people overtly whispered. One man raised his mug to her. She felt their scrutiny like darts on her back and sat straighter. Her belly was in knots. Despite the choice of free seats, the man in black sat next to her. Her arm muscles contracted and her hair stood up. She was not ready for another Simon Diddick. She opened her mouth to make a snarky remark, but the bartender sat a fresh pint before her. I figure you could use that, he said. Kier's dry throat accepted the long, cool drink with gratitude, and her nostrils appreciated the ale's earthy aroma. The liquid calmed the tremor in her hands and began to settle the disquiet in her belly. Her mouth watered suddenly, and she realized she was so hungry a bucketful of dirt might taste good. She finally ordered some food. She raised her mug again, and the man in black raised his glass of wine at the same time. Was he trying to be funny? The bartender winked at her as he went to the kitchen, and she wondered if there was some sort of joke she was missing. 
Still, in no mood to be friendly to crazy strangers, she drank her beer, watching the man in black out of the corner of her eye as he sipped his wine. She was determined to keep her mug to her lips longer and ignore his game of mirroring her actions, but the annoying man seemed bent on his amusement and kept drinking. She kept drinking, too. He drained his wine glass and at last placed it on the wood countertop. Kier set her mug down and also noticed that her knee was bouncing with residual nerves. Sensing a comment from her neighbor approaching, she clenched her teeth and breathed through her nose. She was not inclined to let him draw her into another fight. She turned her torso to close herself off from him and likewise shifted her attention. Maybe the odd man would go away. Why had Brendau directed her here? After the attack in the alley, he had at last said it was time. She'd asked the old man where she should go. Wanaka, he'd said unequivocally, to an inn called the Burnished Blade. It's in the southwest corner of Shea Dachi and should take you about three weeks. Get yourself a job there in the village. He was right about the time frame, but he never told her why this was the best place to start a new life and search for answers. All he had added was, it's a hub of sorts. Things happen there. What was special about Wanaka? Apparently not its high class of people. Kier drank again. The bartender burst through the door wearing thick gloves and holding a dish of game pie which he placed before her. He tucked the gloves into his apron and handed her a steaming wet towel to clean her hands. He also refilled her beer glass, which made him her favorite person. I confess I was hoping you would return without the, uh, gentleman. The delicious aroma of the pie assailed her. Her mouth watered again and she felt weak. But another thought struck her and it ought to be addressed. Had the gentleman already paid for his regular room? Yes. The publican wiped his hands on his towel and reached under the counter, pulling out a leather-bound book. Breakfast is included. Wary of the man next to her repeating Simon's offer, she said, Perfect. Splendid. He slid the logbook over to her, not the same book as the jewel list, and she filled in her name underneath Diddick's. His name had already been crossed off. He replaced the book under the counter. I'm McGinn Medlicott, here to take care of your every need. Here's the key. I imagine you'll want to, uh, go through things. I'll have Jack take your belongings from the stable up to the room. Any second now the man in black would offer to join her in her room. At last she picked up her spoon and caved in the flaky crust of pie, drawing out an enormous scoop. A puff of steam issued from beneath the pastry, carrying with it a heavenly aroma of meat and vegetables. She burned her tongue on the first bite and had to hiss cool air through her teeth, but she still ate so fast the pie was three-quarters gone by the time McGinn came back with her neighbor's dinner. She set down her spoon so she could breathe. Her neighbor stabbed a piece of meat with his knife. McGinn smiled. I guess you like it. She sighed deeply. But something was wrong, unfinished. Brendau's presence was vivid in the back of her mind. Sitting together in his front room after a training session, a bottle and two glasses before them. She needed wine, but not just any wine, not for Simon Diddick, her first. Drawing Simon's purse into her hand, she opened it and discreetly counted. It was a veritable fortune, and this was the right choice. It mattered. She got McGinn's attention. Just above a whisper, she said, Do you have any elvish wine in stock? His eyebrows went up. Why, absolutely. 
He did not move right away, but kept his eyes on her with a thoughtful gaze. Then, with an almost imperceptible nod, as if in approval of some unvoiced suggestion, he disappeared for about five minutes and returned with a dusty bottle and a glass. He opened it for her and said in a low voice, "'I can tell that you're a woman of good taste. That's ten riddles.' Kier observed the depth of his fingerprints in the dust that clung to the bottle. She counted five nobles out of Simon's purse. She still had plenty to get by on for weeks. McGinn poured a small amount into her glass. It tasted of an ancient melody, plucked delicately on an unfamiliar instrument. It trickled down her throat like a stream from a mountain spring. Ten riddles was a bargain. She'd drunk plenty of elvish wine before, but this was of a whole new quality. Unable to adequately express her appreciation for it, Kier said, That will do nicely. Maybe that would show the man in black she had some sophistication. But whether it did or not, she needed to carry on. She held the bottle in both hands and closed her eyes. Is there another bottle like that, Medlicott? The man in black had a warm voice. You bet, my lord. The little man trundled off again. Kier frowned. He'd been drinking wine before, so surely he wasn't just copying her again. She focused, mouthing the name of the man whose life she had taken. She poured to fill the glass and set the bottle down. Nonchalantly, in an effort to be inconspicuous, she dipped the fourth finger of her left hand, the weakest finger on her non-dominant hand, into the rich red wine and traced the rim of the glass, not quite completing a full circle. Life cut short. She raised the glass with her right hand just a bit, not so much as to make a big show of it, and spoke Simon's name to herself again. She took a sip, dipped the finger, and once more around the rim in the opposite direction, a full circle this time. Completion. One more raise, followed by a sip. She set the glass down and removed her hands. There. Now things felt right. Like washing dirt from her hands, the tension melted away, leaving her wiped out. Every training session had ended with a glass of wine, always elvish. Brendau had taught her the ritual, and she had run through it countless times. This was the first time she had done it for real, and she finally grasped its import. She picked up her spoon again. The man cleared his throat. <clears throat> Kier refused to acknowledge him. She twisted in her seat, showing more of her back to him, and gazed around the room. Most people had gone back to their meals and beverages. Some sets of eyes darted at her nervously. That she had intimidated a few people was a lovely reminder of home. Others expressed a less familiar emotion. Admiration. They looked at her and smiled a little as they spoke to their neighbors. She turned away, unused to approval. The goblins in the corner booth appeared not to have let the excitement interrupt their argument. They were snatching a gold coin back and forth between them. The servers had gone back to carrying trays of ale and food. The chatter was as it had been. It was all very pleasant, but damn it! Why in hell had Brendau sent her here, and why had he sounded overly relaxed about it? McGinn returned with the second ancient dusty bottle and opened it, pouring a taste for the one who'd ordered it. The man picked up the glass with a heavily scarred hand and sipped, licking his lips in unsophisticated satisfaction. Marvelous as always. Kier rolled her eyes. Pretentious git. She lifted her glass and swirled a sip around her tongue. The man in black did the same. Annoyed, she plunked her glass down and spooned up a bite of food. "'Well, Kier,' said the man, "'I'm impressed by your taste in wine.' "'So he thought he had the right to use her first name?' 
She chuckled with a scoffing tone. <laughs> Too bad I'm not interested in impressing you. He looked surprised. I certainly wouldn't want to be your enemy. He indicated the door. Was he mocking her? She did not look at him. Then I'd advise you not to piss me off. Fair enough. Damn fellow still sounded like he was laughing at her. Those were some interesting techniques you were using, he said. If I'm not mistaken, I recognize some of the more subtle moves. Nice try. Kier wasn't about to fall for his bait. He wanted to get her talking to him, but anyone could lie about such a thing. Nobody could truly recognize her Wepnian techniques, but someone who'd trained with Brendau, and he'd been in Hrath longer than Kier could remember, hiding. Anybody who knew Brendau would be someone from his past who did not have his best interests in mind. If this man wanted to avoid being her enemy... <laughs> Trained by a stocky short fellow, nasty limp from a bad left knee, has an unusual interest in languages, he taught you the wasp maneuver. Kier leapt from her seat, hand on her hilt, the tension in her throat squeezed so her voice was barely above a whisper. Why do you know Brendau? Shit, she should never have said his name aloud, and she wouldn't have if this character hadn't tricked her. Instead of answering, he took on a quizzical expression. Brendau, is it? That's interesting. Why? His gray eyes pierced her, full of laughter. Kier loosened her sword and didn't let go. Who the hell do you think you are, the bloody Duke of Eckert? His face lost all expression. Then the corners of his mouth twitched. His left hand eased back along his belt. His movement opened his cloak just enough for her to see his armor, the breastplate intricately enameled with the rowan tree of Eckert over the chest and a tiny sprig of foxglove beneath its left side. Shit, she whispered, and the ground fell out from under her. Drowning in embarrassment, she sat down hard on her stool. Mind racing, she connected a profusion of details. The long black hair and mustache, the scars on his hand, and the one down the left side of his face, the cloak made of quality fabric. He was the only other person in the room drinking wine for the love of Pharaoh, and further, how could she have been so thick to have missed it? McGinn had called him my lord. She'd heard all the stories countless times. She ought to have at least had a suspicion of who he was, even though his hair concealed his ears. If there was a single person in the entire continent of Rydris she would have wanted to impress, this was him. Shit. Her heart plummeted to the bottom of her gut. She drained her glass and tried to think of something to say. He graciously did not smirk as he said, Pleased to meet you. Kier, she tentatively put out a hand, which he shook. Haladin, she added, knowing it wouldn't mean anything to him. Do you dress in black just to be intimidating, she asked. Nah, it's only because my white suit's being cleaned. He did smile then. She laughed a little but felt slightly sick. He was a dark elf and about 450 years old. Stories had been told of this hero since she was a child. Songs in his praise had been sung since the first time she'd stepped into a tavern, and here was she, a nobody from a nowhere place like Rath, being unforgivably rude to him. Garen's fire, she'd killed a man while Valraker, the Duke of Eckert, watched her. She turned her head to hide her enormous sigh. Following it, with a resigned shrug, she poured another glass of wine. For the second time in the space of half an hour, she had a choice to make. If she could have had a second chance at a first encounter with her greatest hero, without a doubt she would have behaved with aplomb. 
but as it was, she treated him abominably, and whatever his first impression of her was, it was carved in stone. Now she could either slink away to her room and leave town first thing in the morning, or she could carry on. Slinking away was not her style. Besides, even if all he gave her was five minutes of his time, she would take it. She'd acted. It was time to live with it. Well, now I'm really glad I won that fight. She still had a faint hope that he'd tell her she had done the right thing in killing Simon. Quite handily, too. You can't say I didn't warn him. No, indeed. Not reassured by his response, she finished the last few bites of her meal, the whole time aware of Valraker observing her. She'd been judged and found wanting countless times by people she could easily disregard. Brendau and her parents, of course, she respected. But this time, for the first time, she was being sized up by someone outside her circle whose opinion actually mattered. So you trained with Brendau, did you say? Where are you from? Well, this answer certainly wouldn't be impressive. Hreth, she said, biting back a, sorry, it's a rather backward little village in northwestern Heath. She could tell Valraker about Brendau's location. Brendau himself would confirm there was probably no one more trustworthy in all of Rydris. The silence that followed was deeply thoughtful. After a time, he asked, and what brings you all the way from Hreth to Wanaka? Brendau recommended I look for work here. Didn't seem to be any point in being a sword fighter in a place like Hreth. Even now that she knew his identity, was there a use in telling him she didn't know her own? I walked out of a cornfield when I was three, and I'd kind of like to know what that was all about. Was not likely to raise her in his esteem. Nor was, it's not much fun living in a village where everyone thinks you're a witch. Instead, she said, So how do you know Brendau? Knew him, Valraker corrected. It was a long time ago. She wanted to probe further, get him to elaborate, to ask him to explain why he seemed familiar yet unfamiliar with Brendau's name. But the dark elf's tone had implied finality, and she decided to respect it rather than persist. Still a bit shaky, she drank more wine to steady her nerves. She knew her reaction wasn't just about making a fool of herself to Valraker. She had killed a man, and it was not something she could brush off with ease. She drained the bottle into her glass and regretfully set it on the counter. All good things had to come to an end. McGinn approached and picked up her and Valraker's dishes. Will that be all, my lord? For now, thank you. He glanced sidelong at Kier. So, Valraker swirled his wine. It's lucky I happen to run into you here. I have to be at a meeting in a short time. Would you care to join me? <laughs> Kier choked on her wine. How could he be serious after she'd shown him how unseasoned she was? When her cough stopped, she tried to sound sophisticated and just mildly curious. What sort of a meeting? All in good time, he said. In spite of the angle, she could still perceive the twinkle in his eye. You coming or not? She hesitated for a fleeting moment, but surely this was what she had been waiting for since she left home. Was this why Brendau... But how could he have known... Kier could not turn down an evening with Valraker of Eckhart. With a passing thought of a few people in Hreth and what their reactions would be to this development, she gave him a casual half-smile, trying to hide her eagerness. I have nothing better to do. Do you mind if I go up to my room and take care of this cut first? Her shoulder still oozed a little. I would mind if you didn't. Kier grabbed her cloak, brushing the wine glass off the counter where it landed in Valraker's lap, and he caught it deftly before it could fall to the floor. 
Her face inflamed, her gaze leapt to his, fearful that he would see her discomposure and change his mind. But instead, she was startled at what she saw. His gray eyes smiled softly and showed the wisdom that only four and a half centuries of life experience can bring. As the last remaining dark elf in the known world, there would be no fooling him. The corners of his mouth turned up gently. It takes a while to recover after the first one, and unfortunately, it gets easier. And that's it for chapter one. I hope you'll join me next week to find out what's in store for Kier. Will she piss off every single new person she meets, or will she actually make some friends? I just don't know. If you're enjoying the story, leave a comment. I think there's a comment section. If it was not to your taste, well, thanks for giving it a try. Anyway, stay home, stay distant, stay safe and healthy. Thank all those folks on the front line, eh? Like healthcare workers, of course, and also your grocery store clerks, the cleaning staff, the people who deliver your food. Just thank everyone. For me, I want to thank my family, Matt, David, Heather, and Maggie. Forever and ever, David and Sharon. Thanks to the original six, and thank you all for joining me. Episode two is coming soon to a Wednesday near you. Now, go be fantastic.